Alright, let's, uh, let's get started. So you're in week three of your encounter with God here. Uh, subject has been meeting with God. We're talking a lot about uh, prayer and coming up at uh, we've been into the Word, literally, and talking about the subject of the Bible for the last couple of weeks. Uh, my partner, Crime Shelby, is here this morning, so he's in some foreign country. Where is he? He's in Brazil. So he will be back teaching next week as we start our prayer. And then two weeks from now, we'll end uh, on just some practical applications with the topic of prayer. Um, so, glad you're here. My name is Kevin. For those of you uh, that weren't here the last couple of weeks. Um, so week one, uh, we talked about two assumptions. Okay, First assumption was that it is possible to meet with God. Right? And if it's possible to meet with God, if the second assumption made it's something we ought to do. God, he's a kind God. He's a faithful God. He's a God that wants a relationship with us. So he's made it possible through Christ, right? And because of that, we ought to pursue him. We ought to want to meet with him. We ought to want to get to know him. And, and certainly we know as believers, we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, cries out to know the Father more and remind us of things that Christ said and taught us. And so, um, so that gives us even greater confidence. We also know, we talked about this in length, that Christ himself is a mediator for us continually before the Father. But I asked you at one point, what would our interactions be like with God if we didn't have a mediator? And it was pretty dead silent, right? Because that's what our interaction would actually be like. We model it. Uh, that's it. We would have no interaction. It would all be judgment. And so um, the fact that we have a mediator means that we can approach the throne of grace, what's the word say? With confidence. We actually can approach the throne of grace confidently. We don't have to sort of cower before God. We don't have to sheepishly walk up. Not because we can stand our own merit, but because the merit of Christ has gone before us. We're wearing that robe of righteousness that came from Christ alone. So we have the same access to the throne, if you will, as Christ himself. Sounds like the kids are in the coffee back there. <laughs> All right, so we um, actually passionately wrote those handouts too. Um, so we talked about quiet time for a while, right? The next week, last week we got into that a little bit. Um, the definition that we use for quiet time is on your handout. Um, the idea is setting aside a time. And in that quiet time, we're going to be um, in the Word. We're going to fellowship with God. Why? So we can know Him more, know ourselves in light of who He is, and know the world according to His purposes. Right? So we know ourselves better, we know God better, we know what God's doing around the world better. Three pretty important things for us as we follow the Lord. So that's our quiet time. We talked about two, two aspects of quiet time. One is we need a, a regular, disciplined time and a diet of being in the Word. Um, we need to find a time in our day where we lock down, this is when I'm going to be in the Word. Okay? But we also talked about the grace of, of being able to do that as we have the ability to. So it's really kind of both. So I don't want, as I said last time, I don't want us not to have our quiet time scheduled and regular and disciplined because uh, we don't want to be legalistic. But I also don't want us to feel licensed to not ever do time in the Word or to just flippantly get to the Bible kind of whenever we have nothing else better to do. Because, by the way, we have nothing else better to do. Right? Um, so, so both are good. And all of this is by faith. Right? All of that we talk about 
is just by faith, the journey by faith. And we're talking about that a little bit more today. All right, we talked about Bible intake. That was the word we got from Don Whitney in a book he wrote on spiritual disciplines. And he gives us five ways that we take the word in. One was hearing the word, one is reading the word. We talked about those last week. Right? Hearing the word, reading the word, studying the word, memorizing the word, meditating the word on the word. And we're going to talk about studying, memorizing, and meditating today. So we talked about the first few. Anybody utilize the audio Bible last week or this past week as a result of our time? You find yourself going a little more with the audio Bible? Yeah. Good. Good. That seemed to be something that resonated with people. I had a few people mention that afterwards. Uh, I did as well. I did as well. Um, so, uh, yeah. We talked about being intentional to replace lesser items that take our time and replacing them with reading and hearing. Okay, having that time. Uh, we looked at how valuable and trustworthy the word is. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about authorship. Uh, we talked about uh, our physical appetites as a result, or as an illustration of what our spiritual appetite would be. Right? I challenge you to grow a big appetite for God's word so that when you're not in the word, you know it. That wasp is going to be a distraction. <laughs> that's, that's the enemy buzzing around. Buzzing around. Um, if you have a small appetite for the word, you're really satisfied with a little sermon here and there, with a little devotional word here and there, um, maybe just a reflection. But if you have a hunger for the word, if you grow that, then that's not going to satisfy you. You're going to wait for that time, long for that moment when you can dive in deep and you can eat a big meal. So I challenge you to do that. We talked about this being by faith, okay? We, we tend to ask ourselves, you know, am I sincere enough? Did I read enough? Did I memorize enough? Did I give enough time? All of those things. And that, that can be a, a distraction, really, from the purpose of the Word. We're going to the Word to know God. We're going to the Word to know about ourselves and to learn His perspective of the world. And we do that by faith. We do that with discipline. We do that with a regular diet. We want more and more of that. Our lives should be marked by a greater hunger and a greater time in the Word. Um, all of that is by faith. You're never going to be in the Word enough to satisfy God's righteous requirements of the law. Right? Um, so, all of it is by faith. In our circumstances, change. we talked about that. Sometimes it's just a challenge to get there. I get it. Sometimes the nights are long and you're tired in the mornings. And sometimes it's uh, a, a little snack feels like a big meal because it's just one of those seasons of life. We talked about you know, being young moms or taking care of older parents, especially ladies that have to we spend a lot of time on how important it is men that we're reading the word at mealtimes, that we're reading the word to them in the mornings, that we're leading a family devotion that, that adds to their ability to find that margin to be in the Bible. I think that's a little challenge for us. So. All right. So we're going to talk about studying, memorizing, and meditating. I think all three are important in three rows. So let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, thanks for the morning. I'm grateful for your word. Father, that you gave that as a gift, that you initiated um, relationship with us, you initiated um, revealing yourself. Well, you didn't have to reveal yourself, but you chose to do that. And so we're, we're grateful, we're grateful that you put it right in, Lord, for those of us that are uh, slow of hearing and slow to see, Lord, we're thankful that you've spoken out clearly for us. And pray we would value it, cherish it, um, digest your word, that it would be the food that we crave. And that we would know more about who you are and who we are and, and what your purpose is for the world. 
far in uh, how it all is in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I asked you about Avi Bob. How many of you felt like this last week you were a little more intentional in your time in the Word? Or maybe over the last couple of weeks as a result of the class. You feel like um, you're finding yourself saying, all right, I need to be a little more intentional here. I need to find a, a moment or two or big moments. Um, how so? Do you guys feel like, yeah, I made an adjustment here. What, what's an adjustment that you want to share? Oh, well, I guess I'll say something. Um, just the idea that spending time with the Word, the word is like a spiritual meal. And so, you know, how can a man live if he doesn't eat? Mm -hmm. And so one of my motivations was like, Jonah, did you eat dinner today? Mm -hmm. Then you should be in the Word of God. That's kind of how I thought about it. I did that. You know, we, we mentioned Psalm 119. And so one thing I did this past week was kind of it to get into the Word or into my time. I just took uh, one of the one of the sections of eight verses and just went through that a few times before I started. That was really good. So you start with 119, then go into whatever else you're going to read. So kind of as a, a gate to get in. Let's grab it. Anybody else? Okay, let's go to uh, let's go to Psalm chapter one. says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel with the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. So we want to be people like this. Literally it says, oh the blessedness of the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, it goes on. Oh the blessedness, it's giving this pain that, that this person is richly blessed. It's not like you get a little blessing if you don't walk this way. It's owed the blessedness, the depth, the riches, the, the width, the height of the blessedness of this person. And it compares them to a tree. That they're like a tree whose roots are always by a stream. That no matter what the weather is on the outside, the roots are always uh, richly nourished. So that's the person. That, and we want to be that person. We want to be that person that can grow strong and not be shaken. Um, and, and we'll see in a minute that more about this verse, but it says um, not what he does not do, but what does he delight in in verse 2? The law of the Lord. And what does he do with that law? In his delight, what does he do with the law? He meditates on it day and night. We looked last week at several verses, and I asked you, what are you supposed to have in quiet time? Morning, we read a verse about that. Evening, we read a verse about that. Midnight, we read a verse about that. Seven times a day, all day, all night. Here you say, day and night. The idea here is this if this person is awake, they're meditating on the Word. They're meditating on the Word. Um, and the Lord makes us strong in His Word. We talked last week about Jesus' statement in Matthew 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay. Um, so I shared a little bit last week about how this Word for me in a pretty low time was just life-sustaining. Um, 
Anybody else have a testimony? Has, how has the Word been a life-sustaining force for you in your own journey with Christ? about, you know, what if you don't sort of feel like loving the Word, or you feel like your motivations aren't perfect, or, or, you know, guilt, or whatever, duty, and I was thinking, of course, right after we left, I was like, oh, there's a great verse. Uh, James 1 talks about, if we lack wisdom, we're to ask God who gives faithfully to all without finding fault. Isn't that great? And then when we seek the Lord for wisdom, the Lord gives it to us. And sometimes that wisdom is repent, brother and sister, because your, your attitudes are wrong, but He will give without finding fault, which is real. Alright, so Psalm 1-3 introduces one of our topics, and it's the idea of meditation. He meditates on that law day and night. So if you look at Psalm 119, there's a lot of ways people interact with it. The writer talks about interacting, um, studying and meditating and all that, but we're going to talk a little bit about that study, and we're going to talk about meditation. Um, but it says in meditation, it says that all that he does he prospers, it goes on. And we, it's not the prosperity like we like to think about in, in modern America. You know, prosperity is sort of a relative term when you think about it in human, human terms. You know, when you travel the world and you see, you know, abject poverty, uh, prosperity looks differently than we think prosperity is. And most of us think prosperity is the next pay grade above what we make right now. <laughs> Isn't it right? That's what prosperity is. Uh, but that's really not what the Word talks about. That's really not prosperity when it comes to the Bible. Prosperity, according to the Scripture, is being happier in Christ. Amen. Right? That's prosperity when we know Him more, when we follow Him more, when we're a better disciple of His. Prosperity uh, oftentimes means liking the things above our pay grade less than we used to, not more. And so He prospers when He meditates on His law day and night. And meditating law is sort of the antidrug from sitting with scoffers and standing with sinners, right? Um, we want to prosper according to God's definition. Prospering and being satisfied with Him alone. Alright, so let's talk about our three components a little more. We're going to talk first about studying the Bible. So last week we talked about hearing it, reading it, and now we're going to talk about studying it. Don Whitney in the same book about spiritual disciplines um, gives this illustration of what studying is like. He says, reading it is like taking a motorboat across a lake. Studying it is like going on a glass-bottom boat, trolling along. Okay, see the difference? My illustration was similar. I thought, you know, if you have a, um, you look at a beautiful landscape, to me that's like taking in the word, reading the word, understanding it from a broad perspective. You have a pair of binoculars. You're able to go in and say, man, look at that tree. Or look at those the, the birds that are sitting there. Look at this specific rock formation. You see, she's got a wide lens, narrow lens. So reading the word tends to be a little more, hearing the word, a little more wide lens. Studying it is that thing that brings the, you know, the lens a little tighter. Um, studying it. Sometimes it's like when you go to the, you know, the eye doctor, you get a vision test. It's like lens one or lens two. Oh, it's getting clear. Lens three or lens four. Oh, that one's 
that, you know, Cliff's over, he's like, yeah, I live that little <laughs> You may not do the little three, four thing, but you got, you do that. Um, <laughs> but as you study it, those lenses begin to change, and you're able to kind of see more clearly what that is. So that's what we're really talking about, um, is studying it. Um, you know, for me personally, I came to the Lord at age 15, uh, got involved in uh, church immediately, and I was with students, kids that had grown up in church their entire life. And so when stories would happen in Sunday school, everybody would go, oh, John, again, are you kidding me? You know, they're laying back, they're just not paying attention. And I had never heard this stuff before. And so I was eating it up. What, I, what it became to me over time were these great moral lessons of these stories that had, not, that had no bearing on one another. So Jonah had nothing to do with David. David had nothing to do with Daniel. And Daniel had nothing to do with a guy named Nebuchadnezzar or a guy named Christ. Um, they were just these great stories that were taken in isolation. What I failed to see was there was a big story that they all hung in. That when David took, takes God's life, it's so that everyone would know that the God of Israel is the one true God. Or when Daniel was delivered, so Darius would say, now we're going to all worship this one true God, Daniel's God. You see that God's making his name great. He's glorifying himself as he's dwelling among and rescuing these covenant people of himself, for himself, right? And, and studying without the knowing that you're on the lake can, can get you in trouble as well. And so you see the two working well together. So for me, when I understood there was a big story and went back and re-studied these stories, like, ah, I see what God's doing here. I see what God's doing. It's the same thing over and over again. It's very boring to himself. Study. Last week we talked about Nehemiah A, where Ezra stands before the people, and he reads the word, and they go from early morning to midday. Remember that? Well, listen to what the word says about Ezra in Ezra 7.10. It says, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's Ezra 7.10. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes that's a great way for us to live, especially if we're called in a teaching role. Uh, to study, to do it, and to teach others. It's a great order as well, right? So that's what he did. This is why Jerusalem, he came to Jerusalem. He wanted to teach the people the laws of God and to lead them into worship. And how did he do that? He did it by studying. Understanding the word. To understand the word means you know how to apply it to your life. Applying it to your life causes you to want to share with other people. Takes other people take notice, right? So how do we do it? Let me submit that commentaries, concordances, seminary degrees, all those things are great and very helpful, but they're not necessary for a good study of God's Word. Okay, the Word itself is sufficient. Okay, it's a theological term, but it's, su it's sufficient in and of itself. It's not that those are bad, it's not wrong to get into other people's study, but you can... Um, it's not necessary. So I'm going to submit you have two primary things to start a good study of the Word of God. You need a heart that turns to God in humility and prayer, and you need a Bible. Okay? You, you need a heart that's turned towards God in prayer and humility, and you need a Bible. That's the perfect way to just start studying the Word of God. We're going to walk through those. Okay? So what does it mean to have a heart towards, turned towards God in prayer and humility? Well, first, it's It's simple. You pray that the Lord gives you that heart. Okay? We pray that the God gives us understanding through the Holy Spirit. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. His role partly is to illuminate the text. So what does it start? Opening the Word of God and praying. Lord, use this Word. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things 
Virginia law. I remember that from Psalm 119 last week. Um, Jesus in, in John 14, 26, he promised that the Holy Spirit would come and remind us of his words and teach us from Scripture. So we start with the attitude that I can't know this unless God himself teaches this to me. Okay? So that, that puts us in a humble position. Um, he teaches us. He helps us to remember. He shows us how to apply it. When we think about that, we'll read the Bible differently than what a history book or a commentary or a devotional guide. Um, and we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Um, if you're young in the faith, don't be afraid to ask questions. A lot that you, you can't know. You know. And the church is here to help edify you. The, the people that are in the church are here to help you. If you're not young in the faith, don't be too prideful to ask questions. That's a hard one for all of us, right? The longer we're in the faith, and, you know, I've served as an elder, some elders are in the room. It's hard when you're in that role sometimes to go, I don't really remember that part. What does that really mean? So, so if you're young, don't be afraid to ask questions. If you're not even in the faith, don't be too prideful to ask questions. It's great to get other people in the church. But then drive, then drive you right back to reading more and to be in the Word with a humble attitude. Well, this Romans 11, 33 um, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable is, are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. So this great worship will say, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Isn't that great? How deep the word is. How deep the word. We're going to be in the word. We're going to be finding truths in the word continuously. Um, you guys have you walk with the Lord for a while, you probably experience this, but you read a passage that you've read before many times, and it's like, wow, I didn't see that before. That applies to this situation, or differently, or, man, I never saw Christ as grand and beautiful as he is in that passage in the past. Um, so there's more to know about God than we could possibly discover in infinite lifetimes. So when we study the Word, let's just come humbly. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal and be ready uh, prayerfully. So the next thing is just the Bible. Right? So if your heart humble before the Lord and talk about what if it isn't, well, pray that it would be and continue in the Word until it changes. And then, and then continue the Word. Um, everything we need to know is in the text. Okay? Um, using the Bible to study the Bible is called inductive study. So you ever heard the term inductive Bible study? That's just what it means. It's using the Bible to, to help learn the Bible. Okay? It is the primary tool for itself. Some people would say, well, that's a you know, circular argument. If you want to say, well, this is true because the Bible says it's true. Well, how do we know the Bible is true? Well, because the Bible says the Bible is true, so we know the Bible is true, right? But as followers of Christ, we know that to be the case. By faith, we bank our life on the truth of Scripture, right? And so we use the Bible to help us understand the Bible. Um, three skills we're going to talk about in inductive Bible study, okay? And at any point you need to interrupt or we want to pause, we're... We can. Um, I had heard a good um, teaching on, you know, the, the idea of circular reasoning. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the Bible, it's a compilation of 66 books spread out. So you're not, it's not circular reasoning to use the Bible. To yeah, that's a good, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a great point. It's 1,500 years in the making, right? So that's a great point. You really have 60 you have 66 different resources that you're going to come to the same conclusion. It's a great point, Brad. Great point. 
All right, so we're going to we're gonna spend a couple of minutes on observation, interpretation, and application. Okay, these are in your handout. Observation, interpretation, and application. And this is just getting down to how to study the Bible. This is just really practical stuff, okay? Um, so let's talk about observation. You're going to read through the passage of Scripture. We need to train ourselves to ask questions as we read, okay? Um, especially when we have time to just sit down for a moment, pray, and then ask ourselves. And you'll get fast at this. You know, um, a lot of people have uh, notebooks and multicolored pens, and those are great. And I think that there are seasons of life and times when you need that. And, and you know, if you want to learn from somebody, find somebody that has great systems. Um, but a lot of this, too, you can get intuitively. You just learn to read the Bible with an inductive sort of perspective, okay? So you've got to learn to ask some questions. That's what observation is. You know, if you've ever taken your kids out in the field and say, hey, what do you see? Or, or grab leaves and let's look at the different colors of leaves or, or whatever. That's a simple observation. Or, or um, you know, Carol's a music teacher. What do you hear? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it, is it pretty music? Is it a march? You know, how would you dance if you heard this music? Those are just observations that we, that we make. And that's really just the essential first step of inductive. So we're going to practice this a little bit. Go to Romans 12. And we're just going to take a, a somewhat familiar verse here and, um, and just sort of do some inductive, quick inductive look at this. Romans 12, verse 1. Okay, there. Some of you know it. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay? So let's look at some questions to study this first. Uh, first of all, let's ask the question, who? Who's saying? Who's speaking? Anybody know? Paul. Paul, right. The Apostle Paul. Now, if we've been doing inductive throughout to get to this point, we would know that. We would know context. We would know some location. We know he's in Rome. We know he's writing to Roman Christians, Right? Um, but we're going to just dive right in the middle, so I'm going to give you a little, little of that. So who's speaking? It's Paul. Who's he speaking to? Roman Christians. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. Man, that's quick. I'm going to ask them all of you. Ready? <laughs> we're going to go speed round. Speed round. Romans 1 7 says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, Father, Lord Jesus. So he's writing to Christians in Rome, right? What's he saying? Now, when we, when we ask questions like, what, what's he saying here? What's, what do I see here? Be careful not to interpret it yet. We're not at that point yet. So you're not really looking for meaning as much as you're looking for content. Does that make sense? So just quickly, okay, that's Paul. He's writing this person. And then what is he actually saying here? What do you think? Yeah, good. Yeah, it's not asking anybody a question. It's a command, or it's, it's an encouragement here, right? He's just saying, look, offer your bodies. It's literally, this is how you live a holy life, right? This is what you do. Yeah, really simple. Why is he telling them this? Because he wants them to be holy. So, Paul, to Christians in Rome, he's calling them to offer their bodies in fact, sacrifice. Why? Because he's calling them to live holy lives. How does he make this appeal? How is he able to say this? By the mercies of God. 
Paul can't command spiritual things into people. He knows it's by the very mercies of God that he, that he does it. That's where Paul's authority comes from. Okay? So that's simple. A quick observation. You know, who wrote it, we know who it's for, we know the purpose, or at least what we see on just in content-wise, what the purpose of the appeal is, what kind of appeal, how, where does he make it from, or where does he get his authority. Um, and then let me just pause. Like, I don't want anybody to be intimidated to study the Bible. You know, Scripture is profound enough to confound the wisdom of this world, and yet little children can understand it and apply it to their lives. Right? God doesn't call us to know His will, you know, be wise, know the will of the Lord, and then hide it from us. He doesn't call us to be in the Word and discover who He is and then confuse us with Scripture and make it complicated. The majority of followers, since the first Scripture was penned, or, or, or I guess penned with it, feather or, or spoken for generations, you know, from the beginning, um, were illiterate. You know, the, the, the um, privilege of living in an educated society has really eluded most people in history, right? So this is a scripture that's been able to be understood by very simple people in very simple contexts. So, so don't be intimidated when you think it's because the Lord's going to reveal that to you. The Holy Spirit is going to bring, bring meaning. Um, we shouldn't overcomplicate it. We just did a, um, less than five minutes and we just walk through some observations. You can do that. We can all do that as we walk through. Maybe for you, you want to write those down. Maybe you take a season where you're always writing them down and then it becomes a little more intuitive. Okay? So just observe first. Don't, don't read it and go, oh, I don't know what that means. Just take a pause. That's the study piece. Okay? Observation. Helps us to understand what the verses say. The second skill is interpretation. So this is what does the verse mean? Not just what the verse says. What does the verse mean? Um, Precept Ministries has a publication on inductive study. Um, and they give those, these three, okay? So this observation, interpretation, um, and I just hear like application. That's pretty bad. That's probably a Freudian stuff. I'm trying to work on application. Um, so the first thing of interpretation is to remember the context Rules. So we need to understand this verse in light of other verses. So, so we can get what it's saying without a lot of context. But when you begin to say, now what does it mean? You need to kind of get a broader understanding. So hopefully you've walked your way to Romans 12. Okay? Um, and then you, you get the context. You have to be careful not to leap out of context. Uh, or understand the genre of the scripture you're talking about. For example, Christ gives a, a lot of parables. And it's really easy to read a parable and go, well, I bet that the, um, this person means this, and this is that, and, and you start sort of over-applying, over-sort of um, out-making them an allegory. And really, parables are, mean one thing. The whole point is a big point in the end. So, so example, if you know your parable, you, you read it that way. If Jesus is giving a direct teaching, or we read in Paul, we're going to say, hey, man, every word stands upon its own. We're not, we're not giving necessarily always to one big point. But it could be that this is pretty rich and it's going to have multiple points, if that makes sense. But understanding the context and, and the purpose of what you're reading um, is important. Um, you know, a good way to do this is to read the entire chapter before you focus on any specific part. So maybe here's somebody quote a verse that I got to study that. Okay, if you're going to be in the middle of Romans, or going to start Romans 12, read 11, get into 12, read beyond, and then go back and study what you need to get. Does that make sense? Because it's so easy to take things out of context. Why? Because we, it's going to say what we want it to say until we really broaden our perspective. God gives us his understanding. Does that make sense? Um, 
you know, here's a uh, Philippians 4.13. Anybody know what that says? You can do all things through Christ who is your strength. Right? Every athlete's dream verse. <laughs> right? You may be five foot two and a half, but maybe you dump that ball because God is going to give you all things. You can do it through Christ. Right? I mean, that's just the way we want it to believe. We want to score that touchdown because God can give me the strength to push that line. Right? Can you give me the strength? Sure. Can five foot two and a half people dunk? I'm sure that's happening. <laughs> but listen, context, this is what Paul says, the one verse ahead of it. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every situation. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things to him. He's talking about a contentment in all circumstances. He's talking about living in poverty. He's talking about living in persecution, living with need. Right? And even in those things, I can be satisfied with Christ in all circumstances. It doesn't have anything to do with sports. You know, so we can take those things out of time. And we can encourage people that. Like, you can make it because you do all things in Christ. Well, depending on circumstances, maybe that's a good application. You know, if it's something you're not made to do, it isn't. Right? So we have to be careful. We, we need to make sure context we understand. The second thing we need to know, rule of interpretation, is we should always seek the full counsel of God. Okay? So we use what we're reading with the whole counsel of Scripture. Right? Um, the end of the book of Mark talks about handling snakes so they didn't die from the poison. So there have been churches that have been founded on that simple truth that God wants you to handle snakes and that will prove you're a Christian or not. Unbelievers die and Christians live through poisonous snake bites. Well, to me, that's a little out of context. That's a little not, not understanding the full counsel of the Word of God, right? They're putting the Lord their God to the test. I think I've read that that's a bad idea. Um, so you get the idea. We need to be careful. It's very similar to understanding the context. Um, so we need to understand the full counsel of God. I talked to you about just understanding this meta-narrative, like this big story that's going on. We understand what God's doing and these covenants and the big story. It's easier for us to keep things in line. It's easier for us to, to know what the ditches are. Does that make sense? Um, it, at Life Bears, where I work, we have a, a, our sort of summary statement. We say this: "We said God is glorifying Himself by dwelling among the holy covenant people." So, what's God doing throughout Scripture? He's glorifying Himself by dwelling among the holy covenant people. So, when I read something that sounds totally contrary to that big premise, I have to go there. Probably not understanding this correctly. No matter how it seems clear in that one statement, does that make sense? Um, just as maybe John 3.16 has been used as a verse for um, universalism, that because God loves the world, then the whole world will be saved. Well, probably John 3.17 says the world's judged already. So that very next verse you could use to say, well, no one has a chance. Does that make sense? So we have to be careful to understand the full counsel of the Lord. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for correction, training. Okay, the third rule is that we need to look for a single meaning of the passage. Okay? Um, you know, we have to be careful to interpret the Bible the way it's intended to be ter interpreted. We have to be careful not to uh, put our opinion into the text and say, ah, here, I can, I can sort of sniff out that he what he means to say is, what he's trying to get at is, right, understand the scripture for as clear as it is. Okay? Um, I would say that scripture informs opinion, not the other way around. That's a really important 
piece as you're thinking about how to enter into this um, to this part, okay, uh, of um, interpreting scripture. That the word informs my opinion, my opinion doesn't inform the word, okay? Make sense? Okay, so the final piece of study is application. Application. Um, remember, we want to know him, we want to know ourselves, and we want to know his perspective of the world, okay? And the scriptures are answered all of them. Um, but it's not a book of facts. It's God's commands for us for righteous living. We must apply what we learn. We must apply. James 1.22 Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because if you're a hearer only, you're deceiving yourself. What are we deceiving ourselves for? What are we thinking about ourselves that isn't true? Anybody want to follow that? We are hearers only. How are we deceiving ourselves? Okay. Could be that your your salvation hangs in the balance and you have a few facts memorized when you're not his. That's a great point. Anything else? We've got no room for growth in Yeah, we we've kind of got this thing figured out. The more we know, the more spiritual we are, the more we're like Jesus. And that's not, not true, not complete anyway. That's good. So we deceive ourselves when we learn to be hearers only. We check the box and go, yeah, it's amen, and then just walk on and do nothing about our lives. James 1 goes on, 23, 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. God's word should change us. When we see ourselves in light of his word, we shouldn't forget. It should cause us to change, right? All right. So application. Does anybody have a method for application of study of the word? So what is it? Okay? You have a method that gets you to application of the reading of the word, so what is it? changing who we are. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the application is not immediately uh, clear. Yeah. And we can maybe miss the meaning of the passage if we look for like, okay, now I'm going to go to this because of this. Yeah. No, it's great. I think verses we're, you know, out, outside we're wasting away, but uh, on the inside we're being renewed day by day. Like there's something internally that goes on with the word that you don't necessarily could just go see tomorrow. Right? We can get discouraged and say, well, I'm still just as frustrated or just as angry or just as selfish or just as whatever today as I thought I was six months ago when I started this program. But we don't see the Lord renewing this day by day. So that's a great point. Um, to not look for a one-to-one fit, right? Read today, applied today, different tomorrow. Um, it's good. Well, I think our tendency is to think. And if we have thought, if we have a thought, we share it with others. 
And if that thought is confirmed, we're content even if we never apply what we have. So that was my epiphany last time. I think our tendency is to think. And if we have a thought, we share it with others. And if that thought is confirmed, we're content even if we never apply what we have. It can be this circle that we get in, I think, in Christian communities oftentimes. It's how we think is affirmed more than how we live. We have to be careful. We deceive ourselves that our knowledge of the word is a good substitute for word-informed discipleship. We deceive ourselves that our knowledge of the word is a good substitute for word-informed discipleship. Jesus simply says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. We want to know the word that's critical, but knowledge should be a gateway to application. Okay? Where it's directly and clear and applicable, we have to do it. And it is our discipleship. Um, I have a couple of these. I, I like things pretty simple. When I think about um, inductive study for me personally, I usually have three points. Okay? And you can write them out. I think there is a blank out to the left of observation, interpretation. On observation, just write the word what. W-H-A-T. Just what. Okay? Got that interpretation. Just write so what. S-O what. So what. And the application right now what. Okay? So when I teach or preach or whatever, I typically like to walk through that filter. Right? And then when I'm in my own time, what is it saying? Why is that a big deal? And now what am I doing about it? So, what? So what? Now what? Um, if you want one of these, so um, we, the library, we just published this little booklet. It's called How to Study the Bible. And it goes, it uses what, so what, now what, has some um, notes. What does it say about God, man, what's our response? Okay? I've got seven of these, and I can bring a lot more next week. But if you want them, I can bring, I can bring more. Anybody else want one of these? You're welcome to. If you back here. There you go. Oh, sorry, Jen. I got a couple more. Yep. There you go. Alright, I got one more at the front, and then you can email me, or I can I can bring more next week, so if that helps you, it gives you something. All right, questions at this point? Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I just think sometimes um, we, we've studied the Bible a lot, that we kind of get used to what we know and what our common things know to believers or something, and mm -hmm. then if you um, are new to the Bible, then you can be quite intimidated <coughs> By you know what the other people know, mm -hmm. and certainly some of these questions like you know what's the context, what's the full counsel of God, you know those things are not um, naturally you know coming to people. Right. So I mean there's a lot of little kind of tool things sometimes I have to learn. But, um, I guess what I'm saying is just to be careful not to assume just because the person goes to church or something that they know all this and know how to do this. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great point. It comes to if, you're, if what you're hearing is other people that have prepped for hours teaching or hours preaching, you can feel pretty small in a hurry because you don't really have a command of the Word of God. Oh, that's a great point. I would never thought of that. 
Well, likely the person saying it wouldn't have either had they not spent hours studying. You know, Nicole and I talked about this years ago about kind of, um, that was important just as we're teaching. One, as we study, make sure that we're studying for ourselves and not just for other people every time we're in the Word. But then also, we also want people to understand that this is prepped material, right? Um, and so, you know, not that I don't have some understanding of context or you don't have understanding of natural context, but that takes some season of life as well. It's also um, talks about the importance of having a mentor in your life. Somebody you can sit across the table from, somebody you can read the scripture, and you can ask those questions or get just prepped on how do I, you know, judge one scripture by another scripture. Um, the internet's a great thing. There's great resources out there, but it's a dangerous thing. There's a lot of bad resources. <laughs> a lot of bad information. So uh, just be real cautious. Know your sources. You know, as well. So that's where you find somebody you respect and say, where do you go to when it's confusing? You know, who do you talk to? Um, okay. So, no, go ahead. I was just going to uh, say something that I was just considering as, as we're walking through this to connect that Ezra bit about meditating on God's Word, doing God's Word, and teaching God's mm-hmm. Word. Something that, that I've learned a lot um, about is that, you know, we retain some information that we read. We retain it more if we uh, study it, if we personally, but you know the research out there basically talks about that you retain the most when you take what you've learned and you teach it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so that that you know could be a valuable application piece most times of okay now that you've learned this who are you going to tell it to? Or yeah, that's it. good. Yeah, that's a great point. Just have lunch with somebody and say, "Now we both studied this. This is what I got. What did you get?" Or 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 that. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's an awesome resource. If you guys want to meet up with Christian afterwards, maybe you can sort of hang around for a few minutes and just get his information um, and get uh, get involved. That's a great. I'm glad you said that. Thank you. Kim. Speaking of which, um, I guess this follows nicely after that. You know, you hear this. You know, point two: the Bible, everything you need is in the text. Um, how how does that coincide with you know when Paul's talking about like the members of the body? Mm-hmm. How Part of the gifting to the church are our teachers, yeah. um, and how you know we can't isolate ourselves from other parts of the body. So, and I guess I'm like not to make a big deal about vocabulary, but how how would we talk about the necessity of teachers um, in guidance along through Scripture and talking about how you know everything we need is in Scripture? Like how how do those two pair together? Like um, does that kind of follow underneath the point of Scripture is sufficient, or does it compete with it? Um, how do we think about, you know, t- teachers being a necessity of God's, you know, gifting to the church coinciding with our study of us? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Ephesians gives us a pretty clear view of why he gives us teachers. It's to help us be mature, right? It's to present us mature as Christ, so we're not tossed by every way of doctrine, mm-hmm. right? So, um, whereas the teachers help hold themselves to the Word of God, they're absolutely vital in our, in our walk. That's why we're clustered together in, in groups. That's why Paul appointed elders and the guard of the life and doctrine of the church. 
Um, the, the biblical understanding of the scripture's sufficiency is that God doesn't have to give us anything beyond the word of God and the things that sort of come from the word of God to know him, to know all that he's commanded us to do. Part of what he's commanded to do is be a part of churches where people teach and share the word. So they kind of fit together, to your point, you know, very uh, well. Would you say supplement maybe a good vocabulary to use, maybe? Um, no, that's good. I think that um, the commentaries and things are supplemental. I think that teachers in the church itself are, are necessary because the scripture calls them necessary. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. Right. And so it's essential, as we're listening to our teachers, to be friendly with the word ourselves. That's right. Yeah, there's no replacement for the word even with teachers. Maybe this, if you're on a deserted island with just a scripture, you have all that you need to fully obey God in that context and, and um, understand it. Does that make sense? But, uh, you were going to say something. Yeah, right? I would say a teacher, a teacher proves his validity or his trustworthiness insofar as he's submissive to the church. Yeah. Right? So supplemental isn't necessarily, I mean, I see what you're saying, Caleb, but I think a teacher submits himself Word. So the words always what's held in highest regard, mm -hmm. not the teacher. The teacher is coming under the yeah. word. Um, so if you think on Sunday morning, if Brad were to stand up and start preaching something other than the word, well, that should rub us the wrong way, such that we're like, Brad, you need to go back to the scripture. Right. Uh, but the teacher, the teacher is uh, can be exchanged with another teacher in a sense that you know Ben can stand up and preach. So long as he's preaching the word, Brad can sing and preach. I can preach. Trey can preach. So long as we're preaching the word, mm -hmm. that's what that's what we're looking for. And I think that's the that's the true goal of the teacher is to preach and teach the word. Yes. Submit, submit themselves. Again, even in your question, was part of the answer, and that you asked, like Scripture brings us to the point of recognizing that we need teachers. Uh, how does that fit? Does that you know, supersede or? undermine the soul scriptura, but even there you are asking a question because you found it in scripture. And so scripture is the primary, it's taught you that you need teachers to help you understand and have guidelines, but scripture is still what taught you that. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's where it continues that privacy even how we relate to our teachers. Good. Yeah, it's good. Well, and, and we're warned constantly very many people as false teachers. Those people don't teach doesn't mean they're not the church. They both teach and are in the church, right? But they just don't teach the, the word of God. And so, um, so that's what it teaches the servant, as Ryan said, to submit himself to that. Um, we're looking for workers who are approved who rightly divide the word of truth, right? Michelle? Just one thought. And we were talking about the idea of, say, a new believer or a younger I think it's so important that we make sure that that meta narrative that you talked about, that, that that's so clear um, from the onset, rather than diving right into a section of scripture and going through what, so what, now what, first really understanding that the what has to be pressed through the sieve of, of that meta narrative mm -hmm. and kind yeah. of funneled down to, it has to always point back to what God's doing mm -hmm. through Jesus. I think it's easy for us to want to just dive into a portion of scripture and not first help 
That's a great point. I mean, it, and really, I was a victim of that, as I shared a little bit earlier in my story, just not having an understanding of what God was doing on the broad schedule, what the Bible even said. Then I was pushed around by every way of doctrine. Everybody that had a crude text against what I was taught confused me. Well, that's the same. It's the same, different than whatever it was always been told. But because I didn't know the, I didn't know the Bible, I didn't have that big, big understanding. Okay, so we're, here's what we're going to do. We're going to um, quickly talk about memorization. We end in four minutes, okay? And then um, and we'll, uh, we'll give you some points there, okay? Um, all right, scripture memory, okay? It is what it says. You memorize. People still do that, folks. They still do that. They memorize things. We're going to memorize the scripture. I know you have it on your phone, your tablet, your computer, your bookshelf, your car, Whatever, but you need to memorize it. I was convicted by uh, Howard Rutledge, who uh, wrote a book called The Presence of My Enemies, but it was a, a pilot, Vietnam, was in a concentration camp or a POW camp for seven years, just depended upon little scripture he could remember from his 18 years in a sunny school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and just lamented that he didn't know more of the work. But what he did know just constantly kept him. When others died at the hands of his enemies, he was able to say, he talks about that. Just thinking about what if you were in a situation where all you had was what you had to memory. Um, would that be, would you be happy with where you're at right now, right? Um, and so he, he recognized that he wasn't. A couple of benefits of memorizing scripture. One is victory over sin. Um, Psalm 119, 11 through 13. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With, your, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored your word in my heart, that I may not sin against you. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Um, it's probably the verse that gets us all in it. You know? um, but he says, how he stored up his word so he doesn't wander away. Right? Help me guard that. Um, if we fill our minds and hearts with God's word, we're less deceived by sinful temptations. Jesus even tells us in Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, and he goes on, well, in, earlier in Matthew 6, he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be with also. So when our hearts are changed by the word of God, our treasure is that. And so we walk differently, we think differently, we apply differently. We're less likely to be deceived by sin. Um, all right. Our minds are being filled by our inputs, good or bad. As our input goes, so as our desire, as our desires, if bad, then we to sin. Right? So inputs lead to desire, desire lead to action. So if we can input well, then our desires change, if our desires are different, then our actions are different. Right? Um, Romans 13 tells us to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. Um, and I love this in Philippians 4 8. It's a great verse to put on your TV, your computer screen, you know, on your dashboard, whatever. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Well, where are those things ultimately found? They found the Word of God, right? Um, and then hopefully the Word of God will drive us to things of this world that match. Those as well. The second thing is victory over Satan. So victory over sin and victory over Satan. Satan's real, right? Peter tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful, 
The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Okay, the, the enemy's real. He's, he tempted Jesus, and Jesus had many options to defeat his enemy. Didn't he? Right, we don't have any options. But Jesus had lots of options in that moment. What did he choose? He chose the word of God. He used the word of God to defeat his enemy, to overcome temptation. Instead of a legion of angels, he used the sword of the Spirit. God's word. Um, all right, so victory over Satan. The third one is um, good preparation for witnessing and counseling. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. There's something precious about a word that's spoken at the right time, the right setting, right? Um, it's good and right when we have the word of God ready to use. Ready to use. We have those things in memory when someone shares something. You know, look, here's a word. Here's something from the word that applies for that. Is it most impactful when a person you're seeking counsel from uses scripture in any direction? It just has a different weight to it. We know that. There's something in us, the Holy Spirit, that says, that's true, that's good, that's right. Even if it's a verse you've heard a hundred times, it's aptly spoken. So it prepares us for counseling and for witnessing. I, this week, I experienced a couple of times with some younger brothers here at UBC, and just the scripture became a part of our conversation. It just changed the trajectory. It changed the weightiness uh, of the things we were, we were looking at. So, some of you have a good uh, memory system. Some of you don't. If you've never memorized scripture, let me just challenge you to start. There's some tips in the handout. Just to pray about it, write it down. Uh, if you want to afterwards, I've got um, um, I've got my uh, little handy box. Some people use cards. Some people have them in their pockets. Some people use um, um, what is it called? The Fighter Verse app, uh, you know, on their iPhone, which is another great one. Um, this system works really well. Wayne and Mildred Summers um, print these here. They're members of our church. You can come grab one of these cards if you want to look at it afterwards. There are phone numbers on it, and you can look at this. This one's really simple, okay? We'll give you enough before we can dismiss to understand it. Basically, you write a verse on the back. You read it once a day for seven weeks. You read it once a month for six months, and then I mean once a week for six months, and then once a month for six years, and you just keep following the card. So it's really simple. You pick it up, you read it, you stick it to the next day. And I can show you how it works up here if you want. But if you want to grab one of these afterwards, there are phone numbers here. Um, they're very cheap. You know, they just they should have been printed for cost. So, um, so that's it. You know, I think we recognize the value of the word. I think it's pretty intuitive to say. If you can memorize it, that's just so much better. Even. As long as you understand, because you've gone through, we've talked about already, what the verse means that you're actually memorizing on this spot. Okay? All right, that, uh, that's our time. So um, next week, we'll be um, starting in prayer. I'll give, there's some stuff on meditation here. I'll talk to Shelby, you may start with that just for five minutes or so, talk about meditation and dive into prayer. If not, I can cover that on my time. So we'll be here. Father, you're good, thankful, thankful for your word again. Lord, help us to um, be hearers that do. And um, Father, that we would learn to rightly divide your word. And, um, and Lord, as we do that, we people marked by your grace, that um, we draw other people to, to know you, draw us to one another, and ultimately glorify your name. Pray you uh, use Brad uh, this morning, Lord, as he brings the word in a prepared way and just uh, challenges us. He's grateful for 
is and the elders commitment to your word in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.